There's more to you than meets the eye. We can all be a little confused as to who we really are. Do you know that? Not sure what I'm talking about. (laughs) You know, if you could see yourself and you could see who God sees, you might be quite surprised. And what God is trying to do with us is win our trust so that we can yield ourselves to him and he can say, will you let me bring these two together, the the you that I see and the you that you are now? Because when I speak words over you, you will come to life. But what happens is that you very often think this is you because this is what feels like you. And you, are you going to follow me here? You feel real to you. And who you are feels like it's who you are. But there's a whole lot of who you are that actually is troubled and is distorted. And is not as God really created you to be. And that's why he sent a savior into the world. To actually say, will you let me take hold of you and draw you into that person that you des- that, I, that I know you to be. And... Uh, Please take this. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I'm not sure I should say it, but I'm going to say it because it's kind of what I do. (laughs) All Egypt has, all the fallen world has, is plastic surgery. The Spirit of God releases beauty from the inside, releases life from the inside. And that's why we need the Spirit of God to breathe into us revelation of what we don't naturally comprehend. You are not what you see in the mirror. Totally, at all. Now, what that has to do with what we're speaking about this morning, I'm going to try and work out along the way. But We have this situation where Jesus is in the synagogue And he might well be in Capernaum because he hung out there a lot in the synagogue. And he'll be in the synagogue in Capernaum because I've been in Capernaum, so it's easy to talk about the synagogue in Capernaum. The synagogue in Capernaum is a square building. This is it's the one that's there right now is the ruins, but it's not it may be not even the width of this in terms of its length. Uh, You walk in and behind you is the is is Galilee and behind between the synagogue and Galilee is Peter's house. It's got a t- terribly a huge Catholic church over it. It looks like a rocket launcher um, because it's, you know, it's got, a, it's got t- three sort of legs and then it comes together over the house and then you can look down through, through the, the glass floor to see Peter's house. We couldn't do it because we weren't Catholic. We weren't allowed in the building. This is in Capernaum celebrating Jesus. Uh, it's weird. <laughs> It's weird. There's also a church up on the hill um, that commemorates the feeding of the 5,000. And outside it has a, it has a notice saying, no food. <laughs> it's a funny place. Jesus went to all that trouble and he must say, oh, goodness, Dad. Why did we bother? Anyway, Jesus was in the synagogue and... Uh, Anybody could speak, or lots of people could speak in the synagogue, and and he was speaking. And you have this moment where he sees 
this woman who was crippled. I've got it on a video, if you can show it, please. Thank you. Can you just turn the lights on again, please? Thank you. So we're in the presence of a Jesus in the synagogue who uh, is prepared to do battle. And I want to reflect a little bit on that today. Um, Firstly, that woman, I I mean, they had her walking into the synagogue. I think she was among the people. And uh, Jesus pulls her out, calls her out, notices her. And I'll just say one thing, just really very simple, and that is that uh, Jesus sees you. He notices you. You being every single one of us. And he cares this morning. And you have here Jesus fighting for the freedom and the healing. I'm echoing a lot here. Um, Fighting for the freedom of people who don't feel noticed people who are struggling. And you have Jesus fighting and declaring that, and you have on the other side the equally strong but not as effective declaration that the status quo rules. And if you look at the context of, of what this, how, how Luke presents this, you turn back into chapter 12, From verse 49, Jesus makes this statement. He says, I've come to bring fire on earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, which is his cross. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. And then he talks about how families will be divided. Three against two, two against three, fathers against sons, son against father, mother against daughter. It is not about Jesus saying, I've come to divide families because I want to divide families. But I have come to call people to life. And the consequence of people being drawn to me will cause families to be broken. And the families being broken will not be my will. It will be the result of the battle that we're in. That's why, I mean, you you can go into some countries and and people are disowned as soon as they say yes to Jesus. And one of the things we've lost touch of in the West is that God, following Jesus, can cause conflict. And following Jesus sometimes demands decisions that are painful. It's just the way it is. It's not his will, but he has come to draw people to himself whatever it takes. And so there is, I'm saying this so that we understand that life is a mess. We should know that by now. But following Jesus also does cause conflict. He doesn't want it to be conflictual. And he doesn't want it to be the way we conduct ourselves is what causes conflict. It's merely following Jesus can cause conflict. I'll tell you one easy way. If you're a family and you say, I want to actually worship him on a Sunday morning. And somebody says, well, I want to go away for the weekend. Or we're having friends around. I still think we've lost a lot of ground on this, quite frankly. I think we we acquiesce too quickly. But I think there's an element of every time we step into something, because that's what I do as a follower of Jesus, we create the potential for conflict. And not all conflict is bad. And in fact, you will find the more you stand up for things that Jesus calls you to stand up for, the more you might see happen around you. 
Because people ultimately respect conviction as long as it's lovingly presented. It doesn't have to be badly presented. You do what you like, but this is what I'm going to do. That's all I'm saying. There might be other times where I don't know what it would look like. But conflict was not something Jesus backed off from. And then he rebuked the people. I mean, imagine being called a hypocrite by Jesus. Do you think he'd ever call you a hypocrite? Uh, there's no agenda here. I think sometimes he might call me a hypocrite in order to get my attention and say, you say this, but you do this. You only kind of challenge people you love, really. Who is Jesus for you? What's he like? What's his character? Do you just want the love bit? Or do you want the whole of Jesus, the part that actually will challenge you as well? Because he loves you. I want the whole of Jesus on my side. I want to know Jesus in every facet of who he is. And if I'm a hypocrite before Jesus, I might not want to hear it, but I do want to hear it. I'm setting you up for something here that's important. Um, he then speaks to the people about, you know, you, you see a cloud rising, you, you, can, you, can, you interpret the, the, the weather patterns, but you have no clue about the, the world you live in and the times you live in. You're ignorant about the spiritual climate of the times. And he warns them about that, and then they ask him questions about, who, you know, Galileans who, who, who were persecuted um, and then their blood being for sac- mixed with the sacrificial blood. And, and what did Jesus think about that? And Jesus really just, in a sense, said, uh, why don't you repent and deal with yourself? Because he didn't link up what happened to them to how they lived. We're always wanting to dot the I's and say, well, if you do this, there's some truth to that, but we often get too detailed. We try to get too detailed. Um, I'm just acknowledging those things as leading up to this account of the uh, crippled woman. And so Jesus comes into the synagogue and he heals this woman who he says has been crippled and held and bound by Satan for 17 or 18 years. And as I was reflecting on this this week, I was saying, Lord, where's your emphasis? You know, because I was thinking, well, what about a culture in which you can heal? And we've talked about that until he just merely pointed out, well, that culture was not one of those. It was a, it was a, it's a, it was a culture of unbelief and religious fervor. And I began to think, what, how could a woman who Satan has afflict, been afflicted for 17 years attend that synagogue every week, maybe, and still be afflicted? The answer to that question will be in your heart right now. If you were her friend, would she be set free? Or would you buy her a wheelchair? If you were her friend, would she encounter the power of the kingdom? Or would she come to church for 17 years? I'm not speaking with an accusation. Don't get... Don't hear me wrong. I'm speaking to myself. I'm letting you in on my thought process. It compels me to ask that question. Satan has held you captive for 17 years. Women, I set you free. 
and she's this bent figure, unbends as the Spirit leaves without demonstration under the authority of Jesus. And she stands straight for the first time in 17 years in front of everybody in that synagogue. And the leader comes up and says, how dare you do it on the Sabbath? If you want healing, come on the other six days, which is a joke because she's come on the other six days for 17 years. How big is Jesus? How powerful is he? What is he able to do? Imagine that. Where Jesus is present, the kingdom breaks open. Cancer is visible through tumors and through affliction. The kingdom is visible through affliction being broken. What if the kingdom present in the body is as demonstrable as cancer is demonstrable? Which seems to have been what happened when Jesus walked on this earth. He seems to have touched people's lives, lepers, and people who were very sick and very wounded, and set them free, delivering them from demonic powers in a manner that they had never seen before. And he said, declare my kingdom as present. What happens to you when you hear that? What happens to your spirit? Do you believe it's possible today? Or would you like to believe it's possible today? We don't have to have, you know, it's fine to say to God, it sounds cool, but I'm not sure I believe it. I want to believe it, but I'm struggling to believe it. See, what Jesus is doing is living from heaven to earth. He's living from the invisible to the visible. Our way of living, as we've said many times here, is we we are hooked into the visible. Our faith rests on the visible. Our faith rests on circumstances. We we attribute God's love to us as to how, how, how our circumstances are working out. We attribute God's love and presence to us as to how our finances are, how relationships are. And he's trying to say to us, you're going the wrong way around. As you actually allow me to live in you, you will impact your circumstances. You will impact your relationships. You will impact sickness. You will lay hands on people and they will be free. You will see transformation happen. It's my kingdom flowing through you. It's got really nothing to you. just like a bit of plastic tubing that sends the water through. So get over yourself. It's just where you're hooked up. You can be hooked up to a sewer or you can be hooked up to fresh water. What flows through you is entirely dependent upon what you're hooked into. And you can believe as much as you like, but if you're hooked into the wrong thing, I believe in Jesus and the sewer pipe comes out, it's not going to be convicting. That's why Jesus wants to to captivate the whole of us. That's why he's not that interested in what we believe in our heads. He wants to know how it's resonating in our hearts. That's why our hearts are what is the measure of our faithfulness to Jesus and his love for us. Because he flows out of the heart. The heart changed transforms the mind. The mind cannot comprehend all the things that the heart experiences. The mind cannot explain how a crippled woman stands up. I don't know. All I know, this man Jesus touched me. 
Jesus came to do battle with the invisible realm that has captivated our planet. It's called the Prince of Darkness. It's called evil. So he's always going for that. That's where he's violent. That's where you want him on your side. You see, we are so plugged into the prison of war camp, which is Egypt, which is this fallen world. We don't even know what we need to be set free from because we've lost touch with it. That's just the way it is. It's not an accusation. It's just we've never known anything else. So when Jesus starts walking in and says there's another possibility, it blows our minds. And we either panic and resist it because it gets emotional or it gets beyond our framework, and then we get religious and we get like that leader who came up and said, not on, the, not on a Sunday, not on the Sabbath. But he's really saying, I don't get this. It's way out of my league. It's not in my control. I can't even work it out of my head. So go away. There is no eyesight, vision, heart to, to feel any compassion for that woman or joy that she's been set free. It's all about personal affront and offense. You ever experienced that? ever experienced that where, where you know you're so closed the beginning of healing is just going Lord you know I'm so closed I get so defensive I have so many opinions and when we start speaking like that he goes now we can talk because I love you opinionated or not but let's not stop here Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3 5 he talks about the people there and he says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. He says they're always learning, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. Because what is truth? Truth is a person called Jesus. Truth is an encounter with the living God. Truth sets you free. In the presence of truth, everything that's crippled and bowed by Satan rises in the presence of truth. Because truth sees what's going on and truth is offended. Imagine you came into a place where you saw one of your children crippled over for 17 years and you had the vision to know what was causing it. Wouldn't you be saying, rise up and take off that thing that's caused that? That's what Jesus is doing. He's demonstrating the kingdom and his authority. And it's way beyond our league. If you want a similar, a sort of another example, I guess medical science is the easiest one to access. Take medical science into a, a remote place and watch the impact of drugs and some knowledge on the healing of that community. You have in the, in the physical realm an expression of that. The doctor will seem like a god. In a very limited sphere, that's the same thing. But our, because we experience that in the physical realm, we often get puffed up and say how great we are. And God comes into our, our presence in Jesus and says, you are so primitive, really. But I love you and I'm wanting to open your eyes. So everything uh, that, that is bent comes to be straightened out in the presence of the living God. So I just want to kind of answer a question as we sort of come into the second part or end of this. Who knows what that is? So what? Jesus 
stood in that synagogue as one man who had the revelation of God and his kingdom and his power and his presence. And when he saw that woman, he reached out to her. And because he reached out and he declared that the kingdom was present, he didn't have to say it. His whole demeanor was such. And in the spirit world, they know anyway. There, will be, there, there are times where just if you come in and touch somebody, something will happen. Because the presence of God works through you. And Jesus, one man in a hostile environment, healed that woman. And what we said a few weeks ago was that I believe one of God's words to us is, I will not work for you, I'll work through you. And we continually are asking God to do things, and he's continually saying, yes, let me use you. And the difference between our asking and our doing is a learning gap that often we're not prepared to give him time for. The disciples followed Jesus for three years, day and night. Paul was in the wilderness for, for 14 years before he was released to do ministry. And I believe with all my heart that God has in front of him, and we have here a huge army of people who just need some more training. And I'm talking about training is experiential encounters with the living God. And the only way you get experiential encounters with the living God is as you gather together and, and learn together. And I believe we're doing that. Just encourage more of us to do it. Because it's as you enter into these things, so God begins to release stuff in you and me, and so he begins to work it out. Because we're, we're fighting a spiritual battle. That's why I said right at the beginning, you're not all you seem to be, and you're not, what you, you, you're not everything that you... You don't understand everything about yourself. And we are impacted by the spirit realm more than we sometimes know. I have a picture of myself um, that I got very early on as I came back into ministry, and it was like, uh, it's like a war vet. I'd just been set free from a prison of war camp. And I was just looking at this yesterday, but 1996, 1995 was when everything went pear-shaped and you know, I went down the tubes and you went down with me uh, in some ways. Um, but an element of that battle, an element of my own fall, I believe had a spiritual energy to it. There was a backlash to some of the stuff we were doing. I'm not blaming it at all, but I'm certainly saying it. I'm, I'm writing the story. That's why it's, it sort of resonates with me. But what, what's so impacting to me as I wrestle with how to tell this story discreetly is the power that I felt I was under. And I look at it now and I go, where were you? It seems like another person. But I do believe that, that there was a, a demonic energy there that was part of the downfall. Not, not all of it, but I certainly was part of it. It's a mystery to me. But what I'm trying to say is I said I would never, ever, 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 ever lose a marriage, be indiscreet, not be faithful. And I'm just standing here very humbly and honestly saying to you, never say never, and you're in a fight for your life. And that fight for me nearly caused me to go to suicide. And I look at that now from this vantage point and I go, what were you thinking? 
But I know what I was thinking then. And why I'm making it personal is because when you've faced the pit of hell and you've seen where it's possible for you to go, this stuff is serious. When Jesus walks in and says, I am here, he says, you don't know all that's in you. And there's something in you that could take you into a very, very black place if you don't watch it with me. It's not a threat. It's just saying, be careful. We live in a spiritual realm. As Narnia series says, it's good to keep company with the lion of Judah. And God is calling us into battle. He's calling us to be a people who know who we are in him. So as Graham Cook says, in my space where I am right now, I'm ready to do vengeance. I'm ready to take on a much bigger fight. I've said to God, I want to, be, I want to have the rest of my life redeemed and I want to be effective for him in a way like never before. It's got nothing to do with pride. It's got to do with belligerence. It's got to do with, I want to see your kingdom. I want to see people set free. I want to declare grace and mercy to the broken. I want to see those who are captured, healed, in real time. I don't want to talk about Jesus. I want to invite him, walk with him, and see him do what only he can do. Don't you? So if you do, you have to allow him to keep going deeper in you so he can flow more deeply through you. You have to know that you're in a spiritual battle and that some of the things that he wants to set you free from are things that you don't want to be set free from because they feel like they're you. You, you have to get used to the conflict that comes with Jesus. You have to start stopping, you have to start stopping blaming other people for your life. And begin to listen to the Spirit of God dealing with your life. God convicts you of stuff He wants you to deal with. He doesn't want you to pray that you remove all the people who are making your life miserable around you. He said, I'm going to leave them there until you learn the lesson. We have to stop living lives of blame and victim and start saying, Lord, how are you going to help me here? And when we start answering that question, we will see breakthroughs. We need to understand that there's a spiritual battle always going on. You get to a place, I believe, where you understand that actually worship is your best defense. You get to a place, I tell you, one of the, a hallmark of immaturity in the Spirit of God is worrying about Satan. A hallmark of immaturity is always telling you what Satan's making you do. Stop doing it. Just keep company with Jesus and Satan will be taken care of. He loves attention and he's not very powerful. He's a leech. He just energizes what you give him. So the easiest way is you keep company with Jesus. Some people don't like worship. Guess what? You're going to be more bound. Worship is radiation. You put cancer cells under radiation to shrink them. You put Christians under radiation to grow them. You will grow to the degree that you worship the living God. It's Satan who tells you you're not expressive. It's Satan who tells you you're not that personality. It's Satan who tells you, I wouldn't do that. Because when you do it, no, you're not a cookie cutter. When you do it, power is released. In you and through you.
So Jesus is calling us to be like he was in that synagogue. Bold, brave, assured, and powerful. He wants to use you to set crippled people free. We nearly finished. What does that mean? You live from heaven to earth. I didn't understand that at first. What does it mean? You live from a place of acceptance and victory. Imagine that you're the prodigal son welcomed home. There's a banquet, there's dancing, there's singing, there's life. That is your home. You live from that place every day. I am accepted, I am loved, I am rich, invisible, I am rich. Everything I need will be released to me. I also have the authority to give, uh, Jesus said, be salt and light in dark places, in places that are without salt. So be it. You are a little spice rack for Jesus. You've got to get shaken out, though. You've got to get shaken out. You've got to start seeing yourself as the one who impacts your culture, seeing yourself as the one who impacts your environment. You make the difference. Instead of saying, I'm staying in the salt shelter because they're all unsalty out there and I don't like it. It's the, re- the reason you're born, the reason you're alive is to make a difference. It's too dark out there, go and be light. I'm scared of the dark. Well, you shouldn't be. If you're scared of the dark, you need to switch on the light yourself. Jesus wants you to make an impact. And guess what? You'll make as much of an impact as he's made of an impact in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness are the spices of the kingdom, the evidence of the kingdom. The kingdom is within you in Luke 17, 20. It needs to flow through you out into the world. John 14, you shall do greater things than me. Seems like Jesus said that we would be, be doing things that uh, would enable those who are crippled around us to rise up. So he wants to release power through you. He wants to release presence through you. He wants to release life through you, hope and authority so that you can stand in a synagogue, which is your workplace or your life or your family, wherever, and you can bring transformation. So do you want that? I mean, does that sound interesting to you? Or do you just want to believe in Jesus? And kind of go, well, I just believe in Jesus. Read this book or here's a DVD, but don't ask me to do anything. I mean, don't you want to become dynamic? Some of us. Don't you want to actually make a difference? I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you with seeing where you can go and then encourage you with stepping into the process with passion. The process is very mundane often. But the process is what changes our character and brings transformation and lets God work in us. You can't, dis- you can't get there disengaged. You can't get there in isolation. And you can't get there without persistence. And there will be times where you want to give up and other people will have to pick you up. And there will be times where you will pick others up because you're there for them. That's how it works. You don't get there without a little bit of mud on your face. You don't get there without a bit of conflict. You don't get there without a few tears. You don't get there without being afraid. You don't get there because it's a battle. You get shot at. But boy, it's fun when you start getting connected. It's just not cheap. 
Lefty's going to come here, and one of the things he said when I interviewed him, I said, why aren't you with a mega church? And he said, because really they offer you quite a lot of money. I mean, he's virtually said this, and, uh, but I think he said, you know, you sell your independence. And he said, I've worked, it's cost too much for me to go there. Maybe he'll talk about that one day. I feel the same. It's cost too much. It's cost way too much to just settle for something less. I mean, if, if my whole life is worthwhile, it better be better at the end of it. And I've cried my whole life for the authenticity of Jesus. I've cried my whole life to see God's work. I've cried my whole life to see the sick healed. And I've got in the way so much of the time, and the church has got in the way so much of the time. And for the first time in my life, when the Anglican Coalition came here and they said, this is good, it's almost the first time in my ministry that it's ever been affirmed. That's 40 years And I'm not speaking out of pity. I'm merely saying, expect there to be some struggles. Expect there to be some battles. But it's worth the fight. So God wants to keep setting us free. So how do you feel about being a little bit of all of we've talked about? What I mean by that is, in you, there is Jesus And in you is the religious leader that says, I really take offense at this. And in you is a crippled woman who Jesus is calling out. And what happens if that's what wholeness is all about? So I wonder what he wants to call out today. I wonder if you know what he wants to call out today. Do you want him to call stuff out? I wonder if you know where you're bent over because Satan has fooled you and you're imprisoned and you just think it's you and it's been with you for many years so you've learned to live with it and I wonder if Jesus the truth is saying to you this morning why are you living with that he wants to be get very real with us right now as a loving father by the way Satan in you will resist Because he knows he's going to get beaten up. I wonder if you know the difference between his voice and the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus always says, you are my beloved son or daughter. The voice of Jesus is always filled with love. The voice of evil is always accusing and is always attacking your identity. We'll say things like, you can't do without this. Don't trust him. This is getting a little out of control. Don't you think it's a weird? I wish I hadn't come this morning. That's the voice of evil. The voice of the Spirit of God says, don't be afraid. I've come to set you free. I am Lord and King. So let me straighten you out. So Jesus notices and cares for everyone. Let's stand and and give him an opportunity to touch our hearts. I mean, he's already doing that. And it's in these five minutes that engagement can make all the difference in the world. Jesus just wants to work in you so that he can work through you. All right? And you're really, really safe with him. So let him minister to you right now. What's he saying to you? He wants to minister to some of us where we're holding out or holding on to anger or negativity or hurt 
You'll know if it's inside you because it, you'll know it. You'll feel it. That is being, that is there, not from God. Jesus wants to set free everything that's negative in you and me. Negativity causes us to bend over and be crippled in areas of our lives. And so he says, will you let me set you free from that? In the name of Jesus, I speak over negativity and I break it. And I break its hold over anyone who wants to declare it. In the name of Jesus, for whatever reason... If you know that it's come through some anger or unforgiveness, then just say, I, I choose to forgive that person or that situation once and for all. And Jesus says, I've taken that to the cross. You can be free. In the name of Jesus, I bind everywhere that Satan tries to hold us prisoner and cripple us under negativity. Be free in the name of Jesus. Be free in the name of Jesus right now. now you just receive that and you thank him that he's setting you free from that. He's going to teach you how to walk in a different way and think in a different way. Everything that God does in our spirits gets challenged, all right? So you can be there standing there saying, nothing's happened, I can't feel anything. Don't worry about your feelings. Receive the authority of Jesus and let him set you free. And because you've asked him and because we've declared it, you are free. And sometimes freedom takes getting used to, Right? So I speak freedom into you in the name of Jesus. Now be free. Sometimes it's good for us to renounce evil. Jesus, in your name, I renounce all evil that is resident in me, even if that which I do not know of. You can pray that if you want. All you're doing is reaffirming your allegiance to Jesus and your declaration to evil that it has no legal entitlement in your life. Words have power. And, and, and vows and positions we declare have power. So it's not a bad thing to be saying, Jesus, in your name, I just renounce anything of evil that is trying to abort what you're doing in my heart and life, and I give you permission to be Lord. I want you to be Lord of my life. I invite you, Jesus, to be Lord of my heart. You see, in battles, you make declarations and you do things. You're not passive. There's somebody here with a right knee. Well, a lot of people here with a right knee, but there's somebody here with a knee, a right knee that's troubling them. And I speak healing to that knee in the name of Jesus. Release healing into that knee. And if there are any other knees that want to be prayed for, um, these moments coming before Jesus are when we're meant to be here. 